Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 7 is where we will find our text this morning. And as we're preaching through the Beatitudes, we know that there are a number of them. And probably for each one of us, there's a, perhaps a favorite one. Uh, this one is one that, uh, that I have studied. I preached through this verse on different occasions. I love this Beatitude. And I hope that will be communicated this morning. Uh, this is a beatitude that, that all of us will outwardly demonstrate to other people. This is not an inward beatitude. Reminds me of a story that I read about uh, Frederick II. He was an 18th century king of Prussia. And uh, he went uh, on an inspection tour of a Berlin prison. And he was greeted with the cries of the prisoners. And the prisoners, they fell down on their knees and, and, uh, and they protested their unjust punishment and the fact that they were imprisoned. And while listening to all of their pleas of innocence, uh, Frederick's eye was caught by a solitary figure in the back corner of the jail cell. And this prisoner was seemingly unconcerned with all the commotion. And King Frederick said, why are you here? And the prisoner looked up. And he said, armed robbery, your majesty. Were you guilty? The king asked him. Oh, yes, indeed, your majesty. I entirely deserve my punishment. At that time, Frederick summoned the jailer. And he said, release this guilty man at once. I will not have him kept in this prison where he will corrupt all these fine, innocent people that occupy it. Um, mercy, mercy, um, we use mercy in a lot of different ways. It's one of the most amazing attributes of God. I want you to think for just a moment. What do you deserve? What do you deserve this morning? And what have you received from the King of kings and the Lord of lords? His mercy. And this leads us to our text, short verse, Matthew chapter 5, verse number 7. It simply says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Pastor, are you going to preach a whole message out of that? You bet. That's a long message, too. <laughs> Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. There's the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. We love that hymn, and it actually quotes Lamentations chapter 2. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is Thy Faithfulness. Have you experienced the faithfulness of God? Psalm 103 verse 11 says, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him, or respect, honor Him. Not fear as in cowering fear, uh, afraid, uh, but a fear of reverential respect. Psalm 145 verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all. 
And his tender mercies are over all his works. Because God is rich in mercy, he wants to impart this characteristic in us. uh, And we are his servants. We serve the king of kings. And note again the progression of the Beatitudes. If this is your first time here, welcome. We're thankful you're here. Maybe you've missed one of the messages. But all the Beatitudes build upon themselves. First, the Bible says we become poor in spirit. Literally spiritual beggars. We have to recognize our spiritual power. Poverty, Like the man in prison, we are very much aware of our sinfulness before God. And this repentance guarantees us a, a, a place in the kingdom of heaven. And as we see ourselves desperately wicked, poor in spirit, the Bible says next we mourn. And only in our humility then are we comforted by God. And because of this change, we see God as holy and righteous. And this causes us to be meek and humble before Him. And another result uh, of living in God's presence and having His presence in our lives is that there will be a hunger and thirst for righteousness, which we just looked at. And so what we see is that the principles discovered in the first four Beatitudes, they're inward principles. These are things that will be on the inside of you. Um, uh, However, the last four Beatitudes, they're outward changes. They're manifested as a result of those four inward. So we're beginning with number five, and it's going to be outward. Here's the thing. When we talk about people who are merciful, it is outward, and other people will know it. This is a characteristic that... We will be able to look at your life and my life and be able to know if you are a person of mercy. So as we've done in the first four messages, in this fifth message on the Beatitudes, let's go on a journey of discovery. And discovery number one, let's look at the meaning of mercy. The meaning of mercy. Here's what I say to you this morning, that mercy is compassion that goes into action. Mercy is a compassion that goes into into action. Mercy and merciful come from a Greek word that literally means this, to be compassionate or to show, demonstrate compassion. We are merciful when we show compassion to those who are in need. By the way, Jesus is the greatest example of a person who had mercy. Think about this. He healed the sick. He made the blind to see. He made the lame to walk. He made deaf ears to hear. He gave life to the dead. He loved and forgave prostitutes and tax collectors and drunkards and adulteresses. And he even wept with uh, those who were sorrowful, the Bible says. And he had compassion to the lonely. And he took children in his arms and he blessed them. He was the incarnation, if you will, of mercy. In Isaiah 42, it says of him, A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. And one of the most dramatic examples of his mercy was written about in an incident with the woman who was caught in adultery. So let's read and be reminded of this story that took place back in the book of John. Here's the story. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus, he was left alone and a woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, by the way, that's not a derogatory term. That was a term of endearment in, in the Jewish custom some 2,000 years ago. Woman, where are thou those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. In other words, no one under the law who could have 
under the law, taken up a stone and stoned her. No man, uh, Lord. And uh, Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. I want to ask you a very personal question. How many of us deserve to be stoned today? If we lived under the law, how many of us deserve to have a hand cut off for stealing, a tongue cut out for lying, uh, a death because of, we, because of the things that we've done that, were, that violated the law? Now you say, Pastor, we don't live under the law. Aren't you thankful for that? We live in a dispensation of time called grace the church age. And I'm so thankful that the curse of the law has been broken and Jesus had mercy on people because he loved them and he had mercy on you and he had mercy on me and he allows us to live this life. And if you're seated here this morning and you do not know the Jesus I talk about, I beg you, do not leave here without trusting him as your personal Lord and Savior. Well, mercy is compassion in action, but I want you to know mercy is not self-seeking. Mercy is not self-seeking. Many people interpret this verse in a selfish way. They try to act in mercy to those around them so others will be merciful to them in return. It's sort of one hand washes the other kind of routine. Uh, the self-righteous Pharisee, the Bible says, believed that in showing mercy to those beggars and by giving them alms uh, that he was scoring points with God. The selfish only bother showing mercy and kindness when they think there's something in it for them. Do you know what is so great about a person who is merciful? They show mercy when no one else is watching. That's truly a person of mercy. I believe many of today's liberal politicians so adamantly support welfare and social programs only because it will get them votes during the next election. They don't care about those people. I'm thankful that the local church cares about the people in our neighborhood and cares about people in our community, and we show mercy and demonstrate mercy in our community. But may I just tell you this, mercy is also more than just a feeling. It is not just a feeling. Have you ever noticed someone with a sign that says, will work for food? How many of you ever seen that? You will work for food. By the way, ask one of them to work. I just encourage you. They say, we'll work for food. Okay, stop. Roll down the window and say, I I've got a job for you. See how many of them will work. Or maybe you've seen uh, young children in rags uh, and you had a feeling of pity for them. Or, I, I know this will get every one of you, the music starts slowly in the commercial. And the next thing you see is a dog. It's almost crying. The dog is so sad looking. For just $9 a day. You can save the dogs in the communities around. And so they're trying to tap into your emotions or your feelings. Listen, that's not what mercy is. Pity is something you feel. Mercy is actually an action that you take. It's easy to say, why don't you just go get a job? Uh, uh, or uh, I, I pay taxes to them. Uh, pity is a feeling. Mercy steps up and it's an action. Mercy meets people's needs. It lends a helping hand. It feeds the hungry. It comforts the grieved. It loves the rejected. It forgives the offender. It loves uh, that single uh, mom who's pregnant. Mercy is something that is an action word. Mercy, I believe, is the loveliest of all the virtues. There's a familiar line from Shakespeare's play, The Merchant of Venice. The quality of mercy is not stained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven. Upon the place beneath it is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. Mercy is 
really this. It's a mark of true spirituality. A person who's merciful has this mark of spirituality. In many societies, mercy is considered weakness. One Roman philosopher called it a disease of the soul. For the Romans to show mercy in battle was, was equal to cowardice. It's not in the nature of natural man to show selfless, uncompensated mercy. And that is only the act of God uh, as he gave his son in an act of mercy for all of us. Only a believer who's indwelt and who has submitted to the Holy Spirit can truly show mercy. Abraham, he acted in mercy and rescued Lot. When I look at other stories like Joseph, he acted in mercy and he forgave and he fed his brothers. Moses in mercy pleaded with God to remove the leprosy from his sister Miriam. Mercy is truly a mark of spirituality. Well, discovery number two, let me give you an illustration of mercy. Are there examples of this? Let me give you an illustration. Obviously, Jesus is the greatest example of someone who shows mercy. However, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus gave a parable uh, that clearly depicts the attitude that all Christians should exhibit. We call this story the story of the Good Samaritan. How many of you have heard that story before? The story of the Good Samaritan. In Luke chapter 10, uh, Jesus enters into a conversation with a lawyer, somebody who was highly educated. And by lawyer, that means that he was an expert in the Mosaic law. The man mentions the law. Uh, uh, Jesus, you say, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And so in a smug way, uh, he asked the lawyer, the expert in the Mosaic law, he says this, <laughs> Who is thy neighbor? Jesus then illustrated that fact that all men, all women are neighbors by telling the parable of the man who fell among the thieves. They robbed him. They stripped him. They beat him up. They left him. The Bible says, uses this very word, half dead. He was in a great deal of pain and misery. The Bible goes on to say that a priest, he ignored the man altogether, as did the Levite. Finally, there was a Samaritan. What was the significance of the Samaritan? I know that if you've been in church any length of time, you've heard this. The Samaritan was someone that was inbred. Uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was someone who was, one of their parents was a Jew and one of their parents was a Gentile. And out of that offspring, they produced a Samaritan. And they were hated. They were reviled. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans and the Gentiles didn't like the Samaritan. They were their own um, they were their own class or race of people, if you will. They were hated by the Jews. Well, the Bible says, through Jesus giving this parable, that the Samaritan, he was walking by, he saw the man that was half dead, beat up, robbed, had no possessions, and having mercy, the Bible says, he cared for the man's wounds. And he took him to an innkeeper, and he paid for his room, promising to return and to pay if there was more, uh, uh, more uh, payment required in the future. He would take care and satisfy the bill. Jesus then asked this smug lawyer, who is, the, who is my neighbor, he says this, which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And the answer was obvious. His response was to this smug lawyer, go and do likewise. I read about a modern day version of this parable. There was a man who was traveling Lonesome Street, a lonely and dark road from Tom's Tavern to Bill's Bar. And behold, liquor got a hold of him and stripped him of all his goods and left him destitute and dying on Skid Row. 
There came that way a certain respected religious leader, a pastor from a large church. He saw the drunk bleeding uh, from his skull and vomit over his clothes, deciding he was too drunk to talk to him about his soul. Uh, He thought society should do something to prohibit such drunkenness. He passed by on the right side as fast as possible. Soon a social worker whose training taught her how to care for persons with all kinds of social and personal problems came that way. She saw the man stretched out on the sidewalk. She looked at him, but concluding that the man was beyond any help or hope, she straightway continued on her way. After some time, an outcast of society, a long-haired motorcycle rider. Now, if you ride a motorcycle, this is just an illustration, okay? After, after some time, an outcast of society, a long-haired motorcycle rider, a biker, he came down from Lonesome Street. Though hated by respectable people and watched with, with suspicion by the police, the biker saw the dying drunk. And when he saw the man, he came where he was, and he called a fellow long-haired biker to help him. And while he spoke soothing words, he lifted the man up in his arms and took him to a hospital to have his head stitched and then to a shelter for alcoholic uh, help uh, where he could receive some help from his alcoholism. Now I ask you, who was the neighbor? For this parable, I can think of three lessons that we can learn about mercy when it comes to the good samaritan here's number one mercy can come from unexpected sources mercy can come from unexpected sources i sure would like to be one of those people that's an unexpected source i don't want to be the pharisee and i don't want to be a a smug pastor who is thy neighbor i I want to demonstrate mercy. Number two, mercy throws off racial prejudices and cultural bias and religious self-righteousness. And and here's what mercy does. Mercy gets involved. Um, It doesn't expect someone else to do it. Number three, mercy is willing to make a sacrifice. Mercy makes a sacrifice. Well, that's an illustration of mercy. Discovery number three, let me share some comparisons of mercy. Some comparisons so we have a better understanding and appreciation for this word, mercy. Well, if I look at mercy, there's a lot of times we look at mercy and then we compare it with the word love. Mercy and love. You can write down the word love and draw a circle around it. And, uh, and below that, write mercy. Draw a circle around it. Draw an arrow pointing uh, from love to mercy because mercy always comes from love. I'm reminded of what the Bible says, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, he hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Love is more than mercy. Love uh, loves even when there's no sin to forgive or no need to meet. And before creation, the Father loved the Son and the Son loved the Father. I love my family. So thankful. Just this past week, I was able to FaceTime my grandchildren in Texas and and I heard, of, heard about things that were of interesting to them. And, and then I FaceTimed my other two grandchildren up in and, and, um, uh, Phoenix. And then uh, 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 Pastor Jonathan and, and Janessa, they're on vacation with Janessa's parents and, uh, back in Georgia. And uh, so I got to FaceTime them. And, and they, were, they were so excited uh, just about rain. 
And uh, they were talking about, it's raining here. It's rained every day we've been here. And they were so excited about rain. And, um, and I, I just, I love family. And I trust that you love your family. But um, uh, because of my love, and I, I, I want to help meet needs. And, and if there's something I, I find in my family that's a need, I want to help with that. And even, even if they do not need anything, I still love them. Uh, my goal ought to be to love all men as God does. And the Bible then says I would be rich in mercy. There can be no mercy apart from love. But, so there's mercy and there's love. But let me just say this. There's mercy and there's forgiveness. There's mercy and there's forgiveness. Under your circled word there, mercy, draw an arrow pointing to another circle. And in that circle, write the word forgiveness. And just as love produces mercy, mercy produces forgiveness. God's forgiveness of our, sin, uh, of our sin stems from His mercy. How many of you with an amen, you have been forgiven of your sins and trusted Jesus? Amen. If you could not say amen, I beg you to understand that the greatest single decision you will ever make in your life is this, the answer to this question. What will I do with Jesus? What will I do with Jesus. You see, Jesus was God who took upon himself the form of a, a, a man, and he became God-man through the Son, Jesus, and he came and lived. Literally, it's not even an imagination. It's not a paradox. It's not an allegory. It's not a, something that's made up. Literally, it's documented that Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago, lived and walked on this earth, and he was crucified at the age of 33 and a half, and he died. Why did Jesus die? He was a perfect, sinless man who had never done wrong, and he said that he was going to die to become a sacrifice for me and for you because of sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single man, woman, boy, and girl here the, uh, this morning, you have sinned. And Jesus came 2,000 years ago, walked this earth. Now, the only step of faith that you have to take is that we know Jesus literally walked the earth. The Romans have recorded that Jesus actually was crucified. So that actually, there's, there's no faith. The only faith that you have to have is, did Jesus rise again three days later? And then the Bible says this. The Bible records that there were about 400 people that saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. And we know that, that there were those who were waiting at the, at the tomb for, after, after that third day. And the, the stone was rolled away. And Jesus was alive. It's an amazing story of truth. And the story of that truth is that Jesus had mercy for you. He died for your sin. And here's what we have to do. We can't earn it. We can't be baptized ten times. We can't give money to the church to get it. It's just by faith. I believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he was, and I need to receive him into my life. I need to acknowledge that I'm a sinner. My sin separates me from God, and because of my sin separating from me from God, I need a Savior. Here's the thing. If I were to die today, I know that based, on the, based upon this, when I was the age of 19, I knelt beside a couch in, uh, in Greenville, South Carolina, and I got beside a couch, and right there in Greenville, South Carolina, with Jack Smargo seated beside me, um, I got down on my knees, and I prayed and asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. Have you ever done that? Have you ever asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, forgiving of your sin, acknowledging that you're sin? And you know what? That's what's so great about forgiveness. Jesus forgives us of our sins. 
It's amazing. God's forgiveness of our sins stems from His mercy. Titus 3 and verse 5 says, It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. God's mercy extends beyond just our sin and meets meets our weaknesses and He meets our every need. Oh, there's mercy and love. There's mercy and forgiveness. But let me share a third comparison here. We have mercy and we have this word we don't like very much, justice. There's mercy and justice. Beside the circle of mercy, draw another circle and write the word justice. Mercy goes hand in hand with justice. Justice gives us exactly what is due. Mercy gives less than is due. My friend, every man and woman here today, we deserve eternal banishment from heaven because of our sin. It's what we deserve. It's what we've earned. That's what our penalty is. Separation from God. And it gets even worse. The Bible says in Luke chapter 16 that that separation from God is in a place called hell. That's justice. That's what we deserve. But aren't you thankful this morning for God's mercy? God is both just and merciful. If he were only merciful, he could not be just. He punishes our sin. You see, he had to punish the sin. There must be a payment for the sin that separates us from God. And the payment from that, of that sin was through the death of Christ on the cross. And that extends mercy to us. And his mercy is available through propitiation. And there's a sense of uh, oftentimes of a false mercy. And in our judicial system, there's, uh, there is often neither justice nor mercy because there's neither punishment nor pardon for sin. When sin is overlooked, it remains. That is cheap grace. And may I just say this is why it is necessary for a person to repent and to become poor in spirit, recognizing their spiritual poverty in order to be saved. God is the one who deals with the sin, and he will not overlook it. But I'm so thankful for the blood of Christ that washes away our sin. Discovery number four, let's look at what I refer to as the source of mercy. How do I get this? Pastor Armstrong, this sounds like something I need in my life. I want my family to know I have it. I want my coworkers to know I have it. What's the source of mercy? May I just say this? Mercy, as it has been defined this morning, only comes from God. Mercy only comes from God. We can only show true mercy when we have been regenerated and changed by the power of God through salvation. And the greatest act of mercy was the death of Christ, which I just alluded to. The cross was the great symbol of mercy. Donald Barnhouse, he wrote this. All the mercy that God ever will give me, and he has already had when Christ died. That is the totality of mercy. There could not be any more. The fountain is now open, and it is flowing, and it continues to flow freely. I'm so thankful for the source of mercy, Jesus Christ. The great hymn says this, Mercy there was great, and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There was burden, There my burdened soul found liberty. Where? At Calvary, um, the source 
is none other than the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Discovery number five is the practice of mercy. All right, Pastor, uh, I understand where the source comes. I understand I need it. How do I practice this mercy? We practice mercy by having uh, pity for others. I mentioned pity. Pity is that feeling. Pity is, is that emotional side of it. Mercy is a feeling of pity, but it is more than a feeling. It's compassion in action. It's an attitude like that of Christ, who Christ was always putting others first. When we read about criminals and alcoholics and other drug addicts and rapists and teen gangs and child molesters, we ought to remember that it is but by the grace of God that we are not one of them. We should pray for our enemies. Have you ever thought about that? That ought to be something that... On uh, our Wednesday prayer list, when we have the list of all the elected officials, and we look at the very first one, it's, is President Biden. Now, most of us, we would thumb our nose up in the air at him. He's, a, he's, a, he's a, the worst president that any one of us have ever had in our life. But may I just tell you, he still needs to get saved. We should pray for our enemies. We should pray for those that despitefully want to use and abuse us and take advantage of us. Um, uh, we should pray for those. We weep when a loved one's spirit leaves his body, and, uh, but we ought to have great pity over those who are lost souls in lost bodies. Uh, uh, we should have pity. But number two, we practice mercy by praying for others. We learn much about our priorities by how we pray. From the cross, Jesus prayed this. In all of his pain, in all of his misery, in all of his suffering, he said this, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Can you imagine? You're, you're about to give up your life, and then you pray to forgive the people that are killing you. Stephen, he even prayed for those who stoned him. He said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. What lost people are you praying for? Could you honestly write down this morning five names of lost people that you're praying for? Five names. That's it. Do you have five people that are lost that you are praying for, that demonstrates your mercy. Number three, we practice mercy by proclaiming the gospel to others, by proclaiming the gospel. I know that there are people who are hungry and who need to help overcoming alcohol and drug addictions, uh, people with hundreds of other needs. However, the central need in every single person's life who is living, who is breathing, who is alive, is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Giving the gospel is the greatest act of mercy, and it brings life from death, and it brings hope from despair, and it brings joy from sorrow. And the church needs to get serious about the gospel. And, and I just wonder, when's the last time that we actually told someone about Jesus? That is an outward demonstration of a person who has mercy. There was a media crew in Alabama who was summoned by a despondent, drunken, unemployed man who said he was going to set himself ablaze. There was a photographer and a sound technician that, that uh, heard this uh, call for help, and they responded. They were the first ones on the scenes, and, and, um, and uh, they had to respond between two different roles uh, when the man set himself on fire. They could film the incident as, as impassive observers, or they could smother the flames. Sadly, for 37 seconds, the team decided that they would film the man as he was burning. Fortunately, a volunteer fireman uh, came along and extinguished the flames. 
I want to ask you, I read that story and kind of disgusts me, but if you're a part of social media, we see it all the time. We see people beating up other people and, and knocking people out and teachers getting abused in the classroom and, and we see uh, students being violated and everybody wants to film it and post it like, it's a, like, like, like that's the glory. We want to glorify the sin and nobody's uh, standing in to help. And I wonder if you saw a man on fire, would you stand back and watch or would you try to help him? He said, well, of course, Pastor, I'm a Christian. I would try to help if I saw someone. Just this past Wednesday, one of our church members was coming to church, and right down on 29th Street, he was following a pickup truck, and, and he saw a man on his phone, and the man walked right out into the street, not in a crosswalk, walked right out to a street looking at his phone. Boom, the truck hit him, ran over him, uh, and, uh, and our church member, he, he didn't take out his phone and said, let me film this. Let me see if I could get some clicks on social media. You know what he did? He stopped his car. He actually had a blanket in his car, got a blanket out, went over to see if he could help the man. That's what a Christian should do. But now that we all agree about that, I want to ask you another question. If you saw a person that was on fire about to die and go to hell, would you try to save him? And every man without Christ is on fire, dying in his sin and going to hell. Well, a merciful person will proclaim the gospel message. I want you to notice finally this morning, discovery number six, if I do have this mercy, if I'm developing this outward manifestation of mercy in my life, what are the results of mercy? Let's look at the results of mercy. Number one, those who give mercy, the Bible says this, shall obtain mercy. True mercy does not come from man. You can never be merciful to uh, others all your life and never experience mercy from other men. We obtain mercy from God. He's merciful in saving us. And when we in turn are merciful to others, He gives us even more mercy in fulfilling our needs and withholding His chastening of our sin. Number two, it is only those who are merciful that obtain mercy. Mercy from God. David said this, With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. James, he wrote this, For he shall have judgment without mercy that, that has showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. And then at the end of the model prayer, which we'll get into in a, a couple of weeks from now, in um, Matthew chapter 6, it says, Jesus said, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive men not their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I think uh, Matthew 6 and verse number 15 is a scary verse. If I'm not willing to forgive, God's not willing to forgive. And so we do not earn our salvation by being merciful. We are saved by God's merciful grace. We receive uh, more or less of God's mercy because of our actions toward others. But I, I, I am a recipient of the mercy of God. And at the moment I am uh, a Christian, I should be outwardly demonstrating mercy to others. Right now, God's mercy is available to all people. And I just want to ask you, if you've never been saved, would you be saved today? Would you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? But if, you're, but if you are a Christian and you're, you're jaded in your view and you're harsh in your view toward other people, that's not mercy. I'm reminded when the infidel Robert G. Ingersoll was delivering his lectures against Christ in the Bible. His oratorical ability usually assured him of a large crowd. He was a tremendous motivating speaker. 
One night after an inflammatory speech in which he severely attacked man's faith in the Savior, he dramatically, he took out his watch and he said, I'll give God a chance to prove that he exists and he is almighty. I challenge him to strike me dead within the next five minutes. And for five minutes, he held up his arm. There was silence. And they say that people became very uneasy. What if we were just quiet for 60 seconds and no one said a word? It'd be uncomfortable. Two minutes. Three minutes. The story is told that some became so uncomfortable that after just a couple of minutes, they got up and they left the hall unable to take the nervous strain of the occasion. Uh, one woman is said to have fainted as, she, as the pressure was so great that they knew that God will had to strike him dead because he challenged God. And at the end of the allocated time, uh, uh, the, the story is told that Ingersoll, he said in his big voice, See, there is no God. I'm still very much alive. How would you respond to that? After the lecture, there was a young man who was, went up uh, to this self-proclaimed atheist. And um, he was talking to, to Ingersoll and, and then uh, talking to a Christian lady that was there. Well, the young man said, Ingersoll, he certainly proved something tonight. And the Christian lady said this. Yes, he did. He demonstrated that even the most defiant sinner cannot exhaust the mercy of the Lord in just five minutes. Isn't that all of us? We cannot exhaust the mercy of God in our own sin, in our own failures, in the way that we live. And if a person ran out in front of your car, would you mow him down or act in mercy? God's mercy is still extended. And I just want to say that, that we serve a merciful God. We should learn from Him, and we should put on this outward merciful that comes only from Him. Blessed are those who have mercy, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Are you a merciful person? Or are you always looking to make sure they get what they deserve. There's a lot of people like that. Sadly, there's a lot of Christians like that. That we have this attitude. Well, they got what they deserve. Sure, glad it wasn't me. May I just say, but for the mercy of God, we would be on skid row this morning. But for the mercy of God, we would be strung out on some drug this morning. But for the mercy of God, your marriage would be in shambles. But for the mercy of God, you would be on your way to hell. But for the mercy of God, we live and come to this amazing church. I think we should be reminded of that. Let's all stand together. Thank you for your great attention this morning. I want to challenge you directly to work on this, what we call beatitude or attribute in your life, blessed are the merciful. Everyone's looking this way. I'd like to ask you a question. In the balcony, we have people in every section. Downstairs, we have people in every section. What a tremendous, tremendous crowd. There are hundreds and hundreds of people here today. But I want you to listen. Everyone looking up here, every eyeball looking up here if possible. If you were to die as soon as you left this property, where 
would you spend your eternity? The church member on 29th Street who saw a man get hit, and they said, according to the paper, that it was a a life-threatening injury. So he probably didn't make it. Run over by pickup truck. If you were hit by a car and your life is destroyed in a moment, do you know where you'd spend your eternity? You say, oh, I'm just, it's done. It's all over. Well, to say that would be to deny this book because this book says every person will go to heaven or hell. Every person. Every single person here today will go to heaven or hell. With an amen, how many of you are planning to go to heaven? There's a lot of people that could not say amen today because you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Well, pastor, how do I do that? The Bible just says we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. You do what I did when I was 19 years of age. God, I know I'm a sinner. The wages of my sin is death. What is that death? Eternal separation from God in a place called hell. I don't want to go there. I want to... I want you to save my wretched soul, come into my life, and be my Lord and Savior. That's salvation. It's the best, most important decision you'll ever make in life. Not who you marry, not where you work, not what state you live in, not whether you rent or own a house, not if you drive a pickup truck or a car. None of those matter except what will I do with Jesus? The single most important question in life. 